Captain, people are afraid. That's why I'm here. We need to be put in check. Whatever form that takes, I'm game. I'm sorry, Tony. If I see a situation pointed south, I can't ignore it. Sometimes I wish I could. Sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. Hello and welcome to the Electric Shadows podcast with me, your host, Rob Daniel, editor of electric-shadows.com and I'm very pleased to say that I am joined, as always, by my learned colleague, Mr. Rob Wallace. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. Rob is editor of of all the film blogs, soon to be... Uh, Of all the film sites. And you also... Um, Film and TV editor of uh, The Metropolis. And today we are going to have a mighty smackdown over Captain America Civil War. No, we're not. No, we're not. (laughs) We will talk in general agreement about Captain America Civil War. No, we won't. (laughs) Well, general agreement. Yes, general agreement. Uh, This is one of those rare films, I think, where... You know, I I liked it a, quite a lot, and you liked it a lot. Yes. That's... So that the quite is going to... The quite is going to be the thing that provides the frisson of excitement. Yeah, it's going to light one. the spark on just the uh, yeah, all the sort of underlying disagreements, I'm sure, that we've got in our, you know, our, our various worldview points. And yes, it's indeed. It's like... Just ignite everything. Is this going to end with my storming off and slamming the door never to return? It's like, all because of that quite. If this ends without us... Shouting at each other, I'm going to be a bit disappointed, but uh, we will see. Um, yeah, generally we just tend to agree on things, but uh, it will be interesting to see how big that quite is. Um, so, Captain America, Civil War, without further ado, I think you know this universe more than I do. Would you like to tell us a story? Okay. When Tony Stark backs United Nations plans to regulate the Avengers, simmering tensions between him and Captain Steve Rogers threaten to erupt. This threat becomes greater when Rogers' old friend Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. the Winter Soldier, returns, seemingly fallen back into his old murderous ways. Excellent. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums up the film. Pitting quite a few of the Avengers against the other half of the Avengers. Crucially, not all of the Avengers. No, two uh, two Avengers currently MIA off the back of Age of Ultron, uh, being, of course, the Hulk and Thor. Yes. And I think the reason for that is because, basically, if you're going to have a civil war then um, and you've got the Hulk and Thor in it, then you're going to have even more difficulty in getting around it than with Vision in it. Yeah, I think with the Hulk, there's always going to be a massive level of collateral damage. I mean, there's plenty of collateral damage in the film, but the Hulk does tend to go a bit off-piste. Yes. Sort of just leaping around, smashing everything to hell. Are we kind of entering the final phase of Marvel in terms of their original plan with this? Yeah, I mean, I think the... Well, the, uh, obviously we've got Doctor Strange coming up, yeah, um, which uh, will be a massive jumping-off point for the MCU in terms of the introduction of magic. And after that is Infinity War... Is that the start of the next, technically the start of the next phase? No, actually, it seems to be the end of phase three, and there isn't a phase four right now. Um, But we do know that Infinity War is going to be retitled, because they're worried that people are going to think that a film called Avengers Infinity War Part 1... Might in some way... (laughs) And Avengers Infinity War Part 2 might just be two parts of one massive film. Um, so they're going to rename that. It will be interesting to see what they rename it as. So really, I mean, I think with Captain America Civil War, which I think is a 
a great superhero movie and I think it's great in terms of the way that it mixes you know, gritty action with more comic book daring do the way that it has multiple characters no one feels shortchanged by that though and just the way that they seem to get the tone of it absolutely spot on I think Marvel have rarely put a foot wrong so far in the MCU yeah I think that's because largely they've uh, since about 2008 when Iron Man came out They've been really slowly, well, sort of gradually building up these world, this world and these characters, and you know, none of them are you know have, have sort of supreme depth to them, but they they've all got sort of certain nuances and they're sketched in such a way that you know they're they're interesting in their own right, and they and yeah they go well together. Yeah, absolutely, and you can see. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but when you look at the first two stages of the Marvel plan. You have Iron Man, you have the Incredible Hulk, you have Thor, you have Captain America. These were B and C list superheroes a decade ago. Um, the idea that these would be the dominant superheroes was would just seem a bit weird. I mean, the image was of you know of Captain America was him, was him punching out Hitler. Yeah, and you know Thor was a bit of a joke. You know, Norse mythology, man swinging a huge hammer. Poor Man uh, Superman. Yeah, Poor Man Superman. And oh, yeah, and in the same way that Iron Man was to an extent, uh, Poor Man's Batman. Yeah, yeah, indeed, definitely. And um, and then you have... And Captain America just seems so you know, cheesy and so out of... Particularly out of time during the time that they brought him back with Captain America. It's like, well, America's standing has never been lower in the world, so why would we want to you know, watch a film in which this guy fights for American principles? In Superman Returns, as I've said before in the previous podcast, you know, they can't even say truth, justice in the American way. They say truth, justice, and all that other stuff. Or, you know, where's that effect? Absolutely. That's what I quite admire about Marvel, is that they've, they've just done it. They've just said, right, this is, this is Captain America. We are going to temper him. We are going to make reference to the fact that he's a character completely out of time. But the ideals he stands for are universal, and they are worth championing. But I think this gets a little bit more cloudy in Captain America Civil War, which we'll come on to. But there's that great line in The Avengers where I thought, yeah, you really nailed this character when Thor is about to have a punch-up with Loki and he jumps out of the Avengers plane and Captain America goes goes to jump after him and someone says, yeah, he's a god and Captain America says there's only one god, ma'am, and he doesn't dress like that. It's like, wow, that's a really good line and a really good way to define this character as he is not going to be changing his inherent values. Just really smart filmmaking. But I have to admit, I was getting slightly tired of the Marvel formula, and it definitely was a formula with the last three Marvel films. So Guardians of the Galaxy, which everyone seemed to love, and I've talked about it on a previous podcast. It's fine, it's fine, but it's just like, you know, it's just Firefly. I would would much rather have had a Firefly film than Guardians of the Galaxy. But But you got a Firefly film, and you get Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't find... I just didn't find it that interesting. I didn't find the characters to be particularly interesting and it was it's one of those films where it's, it seems churlish to complain because I had a good time but ultimately that was so hollow that you put it to your ear and you can hear the sea it's just that really seemed to just set in stone the Marvel formula and then Avengers afterwards Avengers Age of Ultron again you have like you have the quips you have the multiple characters you have the um, the high in the sky climax 
and it's like yeah fine and then you have Ant-Man and it's like this is just this is an origins movie that is so rigidly sticking to the origins movie template that I know exactly where I am throughout all of this film and there's just there's just no surprise to any of this again it seems churlish because it's all very slickly done it's it's quite personable a little bit quirky but it just seems so rote right now and then for me Captain America the Winter Soldier is the best Marvel film and to have Captain America Civil War I, th- I thought was returning to the ideas behind that were, that were in Captain America the Winter Soldier but I do realise that I'm banging on no, not at all. I think yeah, I think one of the major issues that I had as well as I'm sure a lot of people did with Age of Ultron was that it felt like a conveyor belt. Everything was pulling on something else. You know, every single scene, especially for most most notably the scene where Thor goes for a bit of a dip in, the, in that sort of <laughs> for a hot tub jacuzzi, and it's uh, just so he, so, so he can experience a vision that kind of obscurely maybe set up Thor Ragnarok yeah but in a way that um, also you could see they just wanted to rem- they had nothing to do with him at that point in the film where he couldn't have just solved everything so therefore we need him to go off on his own adventure so we can then do this over here yeah I mean that really was like this should have been a cut scene guys I don't know what you're doing here um, I can't remember what I, I th- I th- apparently Joss Whedon had a choice between that and another scene both of which were seen as being sort of expendable I can't remember off the top of my head what that other scene was but it feels like he should have gone for that. Mm, they definitely. It's, uh, but um, but yeah. So Captain America: Civil War. I had a really good time with this film. I had a really good time with it because it had. Oh, should we just let's just talk about the elephant in the room? <laughs> <laughs> so there is a film that we saw this year that had two superheroes clashing. And they were clashing because one of them thought that there should be accountability for superheroes and the other one seemed to just be going off and doing things the way he saw fit. Or unilaterally. Unilaterally making his own decisions. And because of that, there was um, lots of destruction and a big fight towards the end. And uh, yes, but enough about Batman versus Superman, Superman. Dawn of Justice. Ha ha. It is weird the way that Batman versus Superman and Captain America Civil War cross over in terms, or just have so many parallels in the terms of their plotting. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think, I think in terms of Batman v Superman, obviously it goes all the way back to the Frank Miller comic and the idea of these two iconic figures going head to head. And that would be the Dark Knight Returns, the Frank Miller comic. The Frank Miller, yes, Dark yeah. Knight Returns. Um, whereas with Civil War, it was always about, it was never conceived as being, I mean, yeah, Captain America and Tony Stark are the faces of it. Yeah. But it's not, you know, it's not a Captain America story. And they sort of reframed it slightly in terms of Bucky and in terms of... Initially, I believe they wanted Captain America 3 to be a simple follow-on to The Winter Soldier, which explored his relationship with Bucky and how they were going to respond to the events of that film, which has since become Civil War. Yeah. Because they realised that, you know, there are certain events that take place in this film that we won't spoil that lend itself to a certain, as you said, a frisson between, uh, between characters. Yeah, in terms of, just in terms of the ideology of what accountability you should have as, as a superhero. I mean, that's the thing, is that this film has some heavy lifting to do. Um, sorry, we'll just finish off the Batman versus Superman thing as well. There's some, there are certain things in there that we can't talk about because of spoilers that are also in Captain America Civil War, where you know, when you watch them, you go, it is, there are so many plot beats here that are the same and they're of a similar length two and a half hours they have many different characters but you watch the two and it's like that's how you do it and that's how you really don't do it that's 
you have emotion in this. You put emotion into your characters. You actually have scenes that make sense. It's you don't direct the film as just a load of trailers put together. You have a through line and you have character. Yeah, I mean, it's less a case of chalk and cheese than chalk and something else. Yes. Um, <laughs> but but here I think the yeah, Captain America Civil War has um, some heavy lifting to do in terms of it's a sequel to The Winter Soldier, which was a film that came out in 2014 and actually does require you to remember certain things from that film. It's also a sequel to Age of Ultron um, and again you have to remember certain things there and it's Ant-Man's in it as well so there's um, so it's kind of like a follow on to Ant-Man but at no point does it seem to buckle under the weight of having to be a sequel to these films and even if you don't remember all the beats of Winter Soldier and Age of Ultron you can pick it up okay. and you get the central idea of why they're it handles Nazi everything together. with such lightness yeah it doesn't get you know bogged down at any point in a way that you know Sort of Batman v Superman did with being incredibly operatic and overblown and having this sense of portentousness and self importance. You know, if Batman v Superman is going to deal with the issue of accountability, it's going to stick Superman in front of Congress. Damn yes, it. that's right. It's, and crucially, no one's going to really say that much. Whereas this film takes time for Tony Stark and for Steve Rogers to have a conversation about why this is a good idea, about why the principles that the United Nations are putting forward are a good idea, and why Tony thinks that's the case as well. There's a lot more dialogue in Civil War, certainly, but it moves a lot quicker. Yeah, it moves incredibly quickly. And it is one of those films where not only was I never bored, but I was just thrilled at how much stuff was coming at me in this film. And we'll get on to to some surprises, or maybe not so surprises a bit later, but... um, one of the criticisms that some of the people that you saw had when they saw it was that it was an Avengers film, it wasn't a Captain America film. Which I think is a fair comment. Certainly um, Steve Rogers and uh, to a similar extent Tony Stark are at the heart of it. And it's true, the rest of the Avengers make an appearance because at this point, with the way everything's put together, it would almost seem strange... You know, unless it's a very immediate, very localised threat, the other Avengers have to appear in some capacity. For me, I thought that the, I thought this was a Captain America film, even though it has pretty much all of the Avengers in it. Because of the tone of the film, it's the Russo brothers again, so Anthony and Joe Russo. The tone that they bring to this is, it's a light tone, you get your laughs in there, you get your fun in there, but there's also like a grit to it. And there's a grit that comes, that in, in The Winter Soldier was born out of... Um, 70s paranoia films and I would say in Civil War is kind of born out of the same distrust for government bodies as those 70s paranoia films but also the films that we were seeing during the noughties like the Bourne films and you know you can't if you're going to side with Captain America and be on Team Cap then you can't trust government agencies they don't have your best interests at heart they will actually hold you back from doing the right thing and I thought that it was a nice shift in tone for Tony Stark to be someone who's saying after who has been a loose cannon in terms of his genius to say no we do need to be held accountable because of the events at the end of Winter Soldier the events at the end of Age of Ultron and the collateral damage that happened there in terms of the general population and also something that happens at the beginning of this film as well yeah I mean one one of our complaints about Batman v Superman was it beating a dead horse 
in terms of uh, an, an incident early on in that which seems to belabor the point of you know sort of precipitates Superman's fall from grace in the public eye. Uh, whereas they'd done that already, and they had a perfectly good setup in the end of Man of Steel with uh, the destruction of Metropolis. Yeah, and Metropolis. And uh, while this film could be, you could accuse this film of doing the same, but that fight sequence, uh, that whole the whole sequence, which takes place in Laos, is it Laos? No, that's no, Laos. It's, they um, it's uh, South America. South, South America. Yeah, is um, enter- so entertaining and sort of worthwhile a sequence in its own right that it doesn't really you know they, they've, they've already got that point with Sokovia yeah. at the end of Age of Ultron and they could just pick it up from there but this kind of works well enough as an opening sort of action sequence yeah and also I think here it's so they're on a mission basically aren't they it's a it's a mission to um, to neutralise a threat that is a follow on from the Winter Soldier and the thing I think they do really well in the action of the scene, and it's a really well put together action scene, you have you know, multiple Avengers. And it's a thing that Joss Whedon can do very well as well, is having a reason for all of your Avengers to be there. And they all bring a certain strength or a certain ability to the fight. And that happens in some really good ways and some really quite imaginative ways. And then something happens with one of the characters. And I think the reason why it's good in this film and it didn't work in Batman v Superman is because there is you see them react to what they've done and it does then follow through with that character even though that character is quite minor in the whole course of the film it lends a certain emotion to to their scenes which again you're thinking well that's it's just to have a bit of narrative justification that's all you need if you're going to do this stuff is just or as um sorry have some character justification so on the Star Wars podcast that is going up as well you talk about character matters maybe more than anything else and I think The Civil War this is a film in which we have lots of character or lots of characters and they all matter because they're all given something to do yeah and plot is just objects in motion the objects need to have a reason to be in motion yeah in this I'd say I I don't know if I was as enamoured by the ideology the ideological bent as you were because ultimately it's a matter of you know that's the that's the horse and them (laughs) fighting is the cart Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and that's the thing. You can say it's a superhero film. Um, these are big, lofty themes, but ultimately it comes down to men in suits hitting each other, which is why it's so crucial that you actually have some emotional investment in these characters. And I did. I mean, like, yeah, when they're all with Danny Jr. Um, and Chris Evans, the way they inhabit their characters means that when you get to the certain point of a film when everything starts to kick off in terms of the Civil War, you do feel that there is something quite... that there's something at stake here. That these are characters that you don't want to see go at each other because you like these characters. So, I mean, here's the question. Team Cap or Team Iron Man? Well, I'm torn between that, you see, because I like the ideals that Captain America stands for, but I do always think you should have some kind of regulation. <laughs> it's, I think there needs to be some checks and balances, and... Captain America is kind of, you know, he is, all of his principles are in the right place, but he argues for no accountability because that will, as he says, like, you know, if I see something you know, bad happening, I can't stop myself from trying to you know, make it right. I wish I could. You know, worse that effect, I'm paraphrasing. But I, I think there's a danger there. I don't think they're going to make Captain America bad, and I think if they do, that would be a huge mistake. But it will be interesting to see what happens in the next film where they if they're still going to continue that debate in terms of you are still acting with impunity, basically. 
I, I, that's the thing. I don't know if they'll have space in the next film because presumably the next film where they they are. I mean, they probably appear in various capacities in other films uh, as uh, as well, Man and Wasp might have have yeah. one of them in or something. Yeah, I mean, uh, because at this point it's almost obligatory. Yeah. So the next film, you know, where they they've all got to come together is Infinity War, and I don't know if that has space. I don't know. Infinity War is you know introducing Thanos and. You know, finally paying off all the Infinity Stones that we've sort of seen seeded throughout the, the throughout the MCU. That's another thing is that you know at the end of you know going into Civil War that ultimately you know maybe doesn't maybe not everyone will make it out, but things will return to some sort of status quo by the end of it mm. because they have to because it's you know this is the closest that you get nowadays, certainly at least in film, to serialized storytelling. That's true, and it's kind of but I thought. The close of this film was much more satisfying than, say, the close of Avengers: Age of Ultron, where I thought you end up pretty much just back at the beginning again. It's like this is a film that has just gone full circle, and other than some buildings falling down and a few quite good one-liners and a absolutely fantastic scene where they're all trying to pick up Thor's hammer, there wasn't much that came out of that film really. And it's interesting that they go into the collateral damage of the end of Age of Ultron when that film seemed to be acting as a corrective to Man of Steel in terms of all the the thousands of people that die at the end of Man of Steel, whereas in this film they are trying to rescue people from this... In the Age of Ultron, they're trying to rescue people from a city that's been levitated. And there was a real focus on the fact that they were rescuing people. Yeah, so, but who are you then? Who are you, are you Team Cap or Team Iron Man? Um, I mean, okay, let's say, let's say you have to, let's say you have to pick. You, so, who, who, are, you, who are you? So, Iron Man, I think. Same here. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's the right answer, isn't it? Yeah, because, <laughs> you know, that's one thing that this film stresses is that lots of people have died, at least partly through the actions of, you know, this group, of the, of the Avengers... And if they're not accountable for that in any way, then then what's to stop them from doing something absolutely terrible or you know, conquering the planet or something like and, that? And you never really see Captain America have, you know, you've got to assume he does because he's not a monster, but you never see him have a major reaction to the, this, the, the, the sort of destruction of Sokovia. You never see him have like a, a real like, oh my God, thousands of people died. And that's, kind of, he just kind of shrugs it off. I think that the Marvel films are very good in saying something terrible is going to happen if we don't stop this from happening. And in terms of Age of Ultron, isn't it kind of like if this drops, it's going to be almost like an extinction-level event or something yes, it's, like yeah, that. It's, it's like an asteroid hitting the Earth. Um, so you're kind of thinking, well, then this, in terms of what is lost versus in terms of the potential of what could be lost, then yes, you made the right decisions there. And of course, the whole thing in that situation is kind of Tony Stark's fault. Yeah, yeah, because uh, which actually I think yeah then seeds quite well into this film in terms of him saying I made a mistake, I you know, created Ultron, I did it through good intentions, and there's lots of things that lots of bad things that can happen with good intentions, which I think is a again it's, it's a nice theme that this film gets into. Another reason I like the film is because it has all these themes and it has some meat to it, and there's some things that you can think about as you're watching the fisticuffs and that kind of stuff, but it does deliver the action and it doesn't. Batman versus Superman just seemed to forget that it had to entertain, that it was a blockbuster. And certain obligations. Certain obligations to entertain, and it was so bleak, and it was so mean, and it was had such a jaundiced worldview. This and is a film that actually 
not to spoil it or anything, but there is, at the end, there is... Actually, no, no, I wouldn't say that. Um, I mean, but you, there is, like, a real sense that they know that they have to provide entertainment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you assume, you know, you assume <coughs> going into one of these films that ultimately it does have to serve the studio and the studio's, you know, longer longer plans, you know, the, great, the, the agenda. And that Batman v Superman felt like that was all that was doing or all that it was trying to do. But in a really odd way in terms of, okay, so what you're doing is you are... You are basically saying that DC is going to be absolutely humorless and mean spirited. Your heroes will not, you won't be able to invest any ideal into your heroes. Everyone's going to be broken by the uh, situation and the world around them. Even Superman. Even Superman says, no one can stay good in this world. And it's like, really? I. You're meant to be the one person that we can... You're the one person who doesn't get to say that. Yes, indeed. It's like, yeah, that's a Batman line. I would much rather have Captain America's if I see something bad happening, I can't let it... I have to step in. I, you know, sometimes I wish I couldn't. And that's, the, that's, that's what you want from a hero. Even if there are certain elements to that which might sit ideologically a bit, a bit kind of fuzzy. And that's the thing. And also on a sheer construction level, Civil War works. Yeah, indeed. It never just stops. It never stops to just, yeah, to make a point. And I think that's because in the Russo brothers, they come out of TV. They come out of economic storytelling. I mean, Uh, they worked on community. community. I mean, anyone that works on community gets a a pass in my book to do whatever they want because that's one of the very best sitcoms. But it's a sitcom and they are now doing Marvel superhero films in which you're comparing them to Winter Soldier. You're comparing it to the Parallax View or to Three Days of the Condor, and it's like you are really bringing something new to the table here. But I think it's the... If you work on long-running TV shows, then you just have to have a sense of structure and a sense of how to tell a story with a certain pace, which they do. And many of the community episodes sort of pay homage to, you know, various things. There's a Goodfellas episode and there's yeah. a... Yeah, in the same way that I, you know, think about the new Star Wars film and that we were talking about the Rogue One trailer with the shot that looks a lot like Apocalypse Now, a lot of the modern blockbuster nowadays have a certain... You know, <coughs> the good ones have a certain degree of sinilliteracy. Mm. You know, that they, they can be compared to those films because probably knowingly they're taking some influence from them. No, indeed, definitely. But I think it's the way that um, Spielberg and Scorsese and De Palma would talk about the films that they were referencing or the films that they were being inspired by when they were making movies. And so it's great that we now have a a generation, maybe beyond a generation, beyond those guys who are not coming so much from a pop promo background, but are coming from a cine-literate background. So they are saying, yeah, we are... You know, the Parallax View is one of the great conspiracy thrillers of all time. Yeah, we're going to lift the tone of that and the feel of it, and we're going to put it into a superhero film. And I think they do that with this film as well. Um, so one of the other bits of heavy lifting this film has to do is that arguably, in well, it definitely introduces Black Panther, played by Chadwick Boseman. Thank you very much. Best uh, previously probably best known for Get On Up. Yes. The um... Uh, James Brown, biopic. Yes, indeed. He was very good, you know, electrifying. He was electrifying. He has a good mini-arc in this. You can see it's... It will be interesting to see what the Black Panther film's like because hopefully it's not an origin story because this acts as an origin story for him. You see how he becomes Black Panther in this film. Yeah, he provides, you know, in in this film he's got a certain... 
he's under he's very understated, mm. and he's sort of got he's got a sort of you know this gravelly charm and gravitas and a menace to him as well. Yeah, because um, it... the film is all about dual opposites, isn't it? It's uh, so you have Captain America and Iron Man. Yeah, they're opposed. You could argue that you have uh, Black Widow and Scarlet Witch, and they're opposed. And then you have Black Panther and Bucky Barnes, and they seem to be the the two that are opposed there. There's and there's a very good reason why they're opposed in the film. Um, and he seems to be kind of the flip side of Bucky Barnes in this film, in terms of he he has that same menace, but he's not going to kill anyone. Whereas there are certain reasons why Bucky is. The way he often, is. Yeah, indeed, often quite murderous in this film. But I would also say that this is a film, because The Winter Soldier established Bucky Barnes as the antagonist, and you got the, and you knew from the first Captain America film that they were friends, etc. But I would say this film actually also sets him up as a character as well. It you know, delves into him and introduces him as a proper character, maybe more than Winter Soldier. Yeah, I mean, because he is a character in this film. You know, he, you know, he's to an extent. You know, if you're going to be very cynical, you could say that. You know, he's the he's the human equivalent of a MacGuffin. Yep. Um, but you know, he's not set. He doesn't have a role in this film. He's not the villain. He is a he is a character in this film who serves a certain purpose, but also gets space to be more than just an you know something for people to respond to. Yeah, and as well as that, <laughs> it also means that you can have organically born out of the of the relationship with these characters. Just some absolutely stonking action sequences. I mean, it's like we're talking in yeah about the it's it's great that this film has themes and it has character and, and genuine emotion and just good performances. I mean, the, yeah, these guys. I think that these characters are second skin to these guys now, but they don't. No one phones it in. No, I mean, I think yeah, everybody is invested in it. I mean, they've mm. they, you know they've they've given themselves you know given years of their lives to these films. And probably the most massive public exposure they will ever have, you know. Yeah. That more, you know, far, you know, far greater, you know, they are all sort of A-list stars off the back of the Marvel films. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and they and they all seem to be aware of that, and they all seem to have a gratitude to the to the, uh, to the franchise, and an investment in just doing the best that they can for it. Absolutely, I think there's it's... no cynicism as yeah. far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It's um, so you have all this great stuff in there, but then you also have two directors who are very good at weaving action into their story as well. And there's a scene when Steve goes to Bucky's apartment to break him out and they have to break out of the apartment. And of course, there are certain people that don't want them to leave the apartment or to leave the building. It's like, it's like the raid. It is like the raid. That's the thing is that it's like the raid. And um, in the Star Wars podcast, we talked about how it would be great if Gareth Evans was unleashed on a Star Wars movie. Is there not a Marvel character he can be given? Has it been tapped out now in terms of who he could do? I, I mean, would you argue that off the back of uh, Civil War, you know, Gareth Evans is a great director, but have other people learned from him? Can other people do, uh, at the very least, a facsimile of that? You know, were you, were you watching that fight sequence and thinking, you know, the one that, uh, in Bucky's apartment and thinking, oh man, if only it was Gareth Evans doing this. It didn't feel like Gareth Evans' light. It felt like it was taking the right part of those, of, you know, sort of, the, the 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 sort of you know not quite as brutal slightly more family friendly elements of those fights yeah and you know really incorporating them really making use of them within a sort of superhero context and you know Gareth Evans you know be great but do they need him well I don't think well I think from yeah from the box office from from the unbroken run of success they've had 
with the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. I mean, even Ant-Man was a success in terms of launching that character and it made money and it wasn't, you know, the biggest film ever, but it's Ant-Man, so it's quite small anyway. But I think here it's like, well, Gareth Evans directed The Raid 2 and The Raid 2 is, for me, the godfather part two of action films and there are certain things in The Raid 2 that I don't think have been matched here. That fight in the prison courtyard is like dozens of people yet you're always aware of the geography i think there's certain things i'd like to see him do within a more yeah fantastical realm but that is just me just thinking like i, I want to see gareth Evans do a superhero film um well they're doing uh iron fist now on tv so can you which ma- is uh the uh, character called danny rand who's being played by i can't remember but he plays uh loris tyrell in game of thrones finn jones finn jones that's it and um it's uh, slightly it hasn't aged hugely well. This white dude goes to the Far East and learns Kung Fu and the Heart of the Dragon. And But could you imagine, you know, Gareth Evans being given that? I mean, cause, you know, this is largely about fighting. This series, you know, the, the, yeah. the guy's called Iron Fist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, can you imagine Gareth Evans sort of being said, you know, do you want to come and do 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 our fights for that? But, you know, then again, shows like, you know, Daredevil has definitely yeah. taken some cues from him. Oh, indeed. In the... his presentation of... of unbroken stretches of impeccably choreographed very you know really quite vicious fight scenes yeah yeah absolutely i don't want him to be the orson wells of action films this guy that every now and again gets to make a film that's absolutely amazing but is never allowed a seat at the table really or sort of you know the guy who taught everybody how to do it yeah and then everybody sort of took his lessons and then went okay thanks yeah thanks we don't need you anymore it's um because we can do this and we can do a close enough approximation of this that i don't need you that would be awful. Of course, the other thing that this film does in terms of heavy lifting, but is probably the most impressive example of just how effortless this film does certain things that seem to be quite difficult, is introduce a certain Spider-Man. A certain Spider-Man. Yeah, a very, a, very, a very interesting and different Spider-Man. In the previous two iterations, Spider-Man was wisecracking. He was quite, you know, in command, even, you know, even when he was out of his, out of his depth. And that's the Amazing Spider-Man one and two, the Andrew Garfield. Yeah, films, and, yeah. And, and, and and to an extent, the 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 earlier Spider-Man, you know, the original Tobey Maguire, uh, in terms yeah. of his ability to shoot, you know, fire off a quip. Yeah, and you know, in in Sp- Spider-Man here, he is a kid. He's literally a kid, and I loved that he does. You know, he talks during fights, but he's motor mouthing. Yeah, he's excited. He's you know, he's he's awkward, and you know, during you know, I I don't can't think of another fight sequence where somebody just gets told. You can, you know, you're not meant to be talking while you're doing yes. this. There's normally, normally not this much talk in a fight, kid. And it's a really, he's a, he's a winning Spider-Man. He's someone because he's quite enthusiastic because he's amongst his heroes. It's kind of, uh, which I thought was a nice touch. And also, oh, as is Ant-Man. Yes, indeed. There's that nice scene with Ant-Man when he's just really impressed that he's meeting all these superheroes, and it's like this again. This is just the, this is the way that you. You do this. You have a certain element of fandom. This is all based on fandom, but uh, you, you know, introduce that into your characters. You put it in surface of something. Yeah, and yeah, indeed. And if it's coming out of a superhero's mouth and they're, and they're meeting another superhero, then it's almost like kind of a B-list star meeting an A-list, and it's like, yeah, this is quite charming and relatable. And it seems to be kind of like easy points. It's, it's just easy point scoring here, but it goes down really well with the audience. It gets a laugh. There's, again, there's, it just seems that's how you approach this sort of thing. But I will say, of course, as you know, and I've, I've bored you with it already, but it hasn't been recorded. Um, and now it shall belong to the ages that 
how wonderful would it have been if uh, if Marvel and Disney and presumably Sony could have just kept their powder dry and not confirmed that Spider-Man was in this film. And that first scene, which we won't spoil, where you see the character, how wonderful would that have been if you yeah. didn't know that was coming? That's the thing. I think even more than more more so than Marvel and Disney, Sony were never going to let that happen. No, because they needed to get a good return from this and they needed to get that character established before you go in but it's like it's such short termism because like what do you think that this film might not have done very well if if it hadn't been revealed that Spider-Man was in it it's Captain America Civil War first thing they kind of you know they they want to piggyback they want to get as much press connecting Spider-Man to this huge the successful franchise as possible as possible so you know they want they want people going and think Spider-Man's in this film it's the new it's also the new Spider-Man film and therefore you know the success of this film reflects brilliantly on Spy- on Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm absolutely positive that is their thinking. It's just that as a piece of entertainment for the audience, it is you want to hit a certain customer satisfaction score for your for your merchandise in your quarterly KPIs or your annual KPIs at the expense of a really exciting audience moment. And that audience moment, I think, in the screening that I saw it in, it went down really well the first time that you see the character. But I was thinking, how much better would it have been if you realised what yeah. you were watching at that I, point? I, the whole place would have just erupted. I mean, imagine if they'd been able to, yeah, imagine if they'd been able to drip feed that revelation. Trailers are getting more and more spoilerific, and at some point we just have to trust that you're going to come and see this film anyway because it's getting, well, it's getting absolutely glowing reviews. I mean, I'm not entirely sure it's a five-star movie. In fact, I don't think it is a five-star movie. But it's definitely a great four-star movie and it gave me everything that I wanted from the title Captain America Civil War. But as, as I was saying to you earlier, it's, it just seemed to be repeating the mistake of the Avengers trailer from the first Avengers film when Iron Man's falling out of the sky and the Hulk catches him. In the film, that is a that is the climax of a certain amount of character development and it's in the film is like a misdirect because you think that Thor's going to rescue him. The Hulk appears from nowhere and again, if the audience that I've been with, if they all knew that bit was coming, but if you hadn't, then it would have been such a shiver down the spine moment. But it wasn't, because you knew it coming, because you have seen it in the trailer. This is not as bad as what they did in Batman vs Superman, where they basically just gave you the entire movie. But there are certain things I think it's just yeah, best to discover within the fabric of the film. I mean, yeah, I think my, my big one recently is, like, is Terminator Genesis. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, we, we talk about Terminator it's been long enough hasn't it oh fuck yeah it's, like, yeah. it's a shit film anyway so. exactly we're not going to spoil that for anybody no. um, you know the the, uh, the revelation that John Connor has become the villain yeah and he's not just any old villain he is a Terminator which it's, is the sort of one of the few interesting because that's that's the that's the twist of that's the and that's this that's the set up twist of Terminator 2 mm. is this guy who we know, who we used to knowing you know in a certain role is playing the opposite role yeah, indeed. And Alan Taylor, the director of Terminator Genesis. And, of course, Thor 2. Thor 2. Um, and Game of Thrones, well, wasn't he? He was like a regular director on that. Begged the marketing department not to reveal that in the trailers. And it just it's weird because then you realise that the director doesn't have as much power over how the film is presented as you think they do. You think, well, if you trust this director to do your film then surely you would trust the way that it should be because he's a storyteller therefore he can tell you a bit of a story to keep you intrigued whereas I would argue that a marketing department just wants to give you 
everything to make sure that you're going to turn up. But it's like, well, if you get everything, then what's the point in turning up? Yeah, I, I don't think anybody involved in Terminator Genesis had a particular interest in storytelling. Well, in terms of... there's, I mean, it's a fan fiction movie, but there are certain interesting things in there. But, again, it all comes down to how you, you choose to tell a story. And, my God, was that film just misjudged on every single... Every single point, really. I mean, there wasn't, and there, it wasn't even a good action scene in that film. There was, no, there was just nothing, was there? How many sort of? I'd say there's one good, uh, there's one action scene in it I like. What's that one? Uh, with uh, John, uh, not John Connor, with Carl Reese battling the Terminator endoskeleton in the uh, in the sort of underground what, yeah, lair thing, it's which like. I, which again works because it's a slightly more dynamic version of the final sequence, the final fight from the original Terminator. Film. Yes, yeah, you're right. There is a, there is a moment there. Oh my god, are we off piece now? But um, there is a moment there where you get the old memory of just how terrifying the Terminator is when it's coming at you. But anyway, so we, yes, we digress. (laughs) Yeah, so you have the great scene when Steve Rogers is trying to break Bucky Barnes out of his apartment and out of the building. And the way that kind of introduces other characters into the mix is, I think, is very well done. You then also have the scene, you're not, you're not going to spoil anything here, but there's, uh, there is a, a scene where Bucky goes a bit bad and it's in the trailer when yeah, Tony puts on his Iron Man glove and you know, deflects the gun at the last minute when it goes off. That was a great scene. It's like, again, like, yeah, the choreography of it, the way that you can follow everything that's happening, even though it's set over certain yeah, different levels of a building. I just find that stuff a joy to watch if it's done if it's done well. Yeah, I'd be fascinated to see how they block all that out. Yeah, like you know, I'm sure, I'm sure. Actually, yeah, but yeah, on behind the scenes documentary on uh, on the DVD. Yeah, that, that'd, be, that'd be really amazing because it, it's so one a word I use a lot to describe Marvel films, and it sounds like a criticism, but it's genuinely not. Is proficient. Yes, they are. They are slick and professionally made. They're just a well produced piece of filmmaking which is such yeah which is such an underrated trait yeah because people go oh you know it's proficient it means corporate it means it's it's got no heart and soul man but I would say that um, yeah, corporate and no heart and soul man is the Transformers film but like any of the Transformers films that you want to choose from is uh, I mean the final one had a milk in there that you can't buy in America, but was in there because it was just about to break into the Chinese market. So they wanted to advertise the milk in the film because it was going to have a big release in China. And it's like, that's a soulless movie. And also, it's not proficient because it has all these photorealistic effects, but you can't tell what's going on. There's no there's no logic to the space there's, that's yeah, being... There's no geography. There's no geography to any of the action scenes in those movies. They are, they are headaches to watch. Whereas these films, it's like, yeah, they are at the service of a story and they're at the service of character, but they also don't forget that let's just give them something pretty spectacular to look at. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, I'd say the most spectacular scene in this, and I don't think it's given... I mean, I think we can say, without spoiling... Can we call, can we call it the airport scene? The airport scene. It's in the trailer. That was a joy to watch, because you are watching Iron Man and Captain America and Spider-Man just sharing screen time with each other. And it was it was a joy to watch. There was a real excitement to watching these characters be these characters that we should have got with Batman versus Superman. You should have got that real again shiver down the spine, but you didn't. Whereas this one, absolutely, it was just absolutely wonderful. And um, and there's a great moment when again it's kind of it's kind. Of, I think a moment of it is in the trailer when they're running towards each other and 
So there are certain characters who run, and Scarlet Witch just levitates and lifts off the ground and flies over, and it's like, yeah, because she can do that, and that's what she does. And it's like, this is... this is, I love the imagination of these films. And it's good they found a way to put her and Vision on opposite sides, because they are by far the two most overpowered. Yeah, indeed, and that's the, that's the other thing in terms of, like, yeah, we have opposed characters. Yeah, and it's... Yeah, so Scarlet Witch and Vision, I suppose, more than Scarlet Witch and Black Widow. And it's... I suppose it's you know, Black Widow and Hawkeye, in a way, isn't it? Because they were... Yeah, because they were partners at one point. And because they neither of them actually has quote-unquote superpowers. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, indeed, that's right. Um, I mean, oh. One of the criticisms, sorry, that's, um, that is that... And I need to watch it again to see what Vision does during that, because he's quite powerful to be in a that sort of fight. I think, and I think one of the things I like about Vision is he is, as far as you can be in that situation, kind of a pacifist. And a bit, of a, a bit of an observer, because he is still a relatively, you know, he's an AI and relatively young one at that. Who, you know, They've recently done a run of Vision comics I, I'm yet to read, but I've heard they're absolutely f- amazing because it shows Vision and his family attempting to live lives as normal human beings. So who's, so does Vision have a family that is, Essentially, are they all, similarly they are, AI? They are similarly AI. Yeah. And it's about him trying to live a, fa- live a normal life while being not you know but while being abnormal while being incredibly intelligent and and superpowered and trying to fit into suburbia yeah and oh, have your kids go to school when you know and and you know the, the principal raising the fact that you're you know technically your son is a weapon of mass destruction you <laughs> yeah, can't really most kids him. are though yeah. <laughs> yeah you can't really give him how does a teacher give him detention yes it's uh unless you have a very good sense of right and wrong that's instilled by your presumably a bit more powerful dad I'm not sure how that works in terms of Vision and his family if they're all equally learn their powers because yeah, yeah. Vision seems to be born with his powers he just emerged with his powers didn't he um, from the head of Zeus actually like another interesting point here and um, again you know more about this than I do but we have uh, William Hurt in this film and he's playing the same General character General Thunderbolt Ross but here is Secretary of State so he's had it much further down in his career and has well, gone into how politics. Long has it been, what, uh, eight years uh, since Incredible Hulk? Yes, it's, yeah, yeah, so, so that it's, came out the same year as Iron Man, yeah. yeah so, so, yeah. So, yeah, it's been eight years. Well, apart, he, he did a couple of the little one shots, and I think he might even have done a. Oh, did he? Yeah. When he heard some of the one shots? Yeah, I was involved in some capacity because I think there's well, there's one where he sits down with Tony Stark in a bar to talk about Emil Blonsky, the, uh, the abomination from. Incredible Hulk. Yeah. And they want to use Bumsky as, you know, they want to give him, they want to release him and actually use him as a weapon and obviously they managed to nix the idea. Um, but yeah, it's, so it's, it's been, you know, let's say at least, you know, seven years since he's appeared in any capacity. And it's nice, it's a nice callback mm. yeah, because it's, you know, his character serves a purpose in the film that it, and it makes it immediately more interesting using Ross for that purpose than introducing, you know, a whole new okay. character. In a way, he is kind of a new character because in The Incredible Hulk, he's very much an antagonist. Whereas in this film, he seems to be slightly soft. Not not softer at all, actually, kind of, uh, but he seems to be slightly more tempered and actually seems to be kind of you know, someone who is saying... It's fundamentally reasonable. Have, yeah, yeah, he's reasonable. We need to have accountability here because of the things that have happened. And he doesn't seem to be as much of a baddie. And hopefully that's because he isn't as much of a baddie. That's not just some kind of him playing some long grand scheme 
Well, he can't be that much of a baddie because they don't have space for him. That, and that was the reason I was going to say, because if if you crowbar that in, then it's like, well, yeah, there isn't enough room to fully explore this. It's it's better that he thinks that he's doing something right. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's more complex. It's more interesting. Plus, you know, not only do they not need him as a baddie, he doesn't need to be a baddie. No, that's right. It's um, absolutely. But yeah, it is interesting when you think back to... So you, you had Iron Man released on May 2nd, 2008. But the second film was The Incredible Hulk. And that's which was released on June the 13th of the same year. And that's really interesting because you can see, like, we have no idea if Iron Man's going to work. Therefore, we need to have a recognised, yeah, universally recognised character. So we'll do The Incredible Hulk again. We'll do what we thought Ang Lee should have done and just make a very efficient action film. And... Iron Man, of course, is the film that has much more you know, character and personality, even though I think it's a, you know, a really good first hour and an okay second hour. And But The Incredible Hulk is pretty anonymous, really. I mean, it has a few good moments in it, but it's almost been... It is still canon, isn't it? But they don't choose to remember it, really. <laughs> no, it's just kind of that, that hazy period. Right? Yes. Um, and they, of course, recast Edward Norton to Mark Ruffalo because apparently Edward Norton was being a pain in the ass. He, he, he did reruts on the script I think he insisted on doing reruts on the script plus you know I think we've had enough of Edward Norton playing characters with multiple personalities yeah yeah indeed that's right it's got to, that did seem to be his uh, yeah his thing for a while didn't it um, so what were your issues with this film because so far you seem to be pretty um... no that's the thing I just fundamentally I don't apart from one apart, apart from one development in the film that we won't spoil here but involves Tony Stark and Tony Stark's history mm. I didn't care that much about the conflict because ultimately it couldn't go anywhere. Like, nothing could be permanently broken. But I think there's a certain... I think that some things have happened that are going to colour the characters in the future films. And I have to admit, like, you know, again, without spoiling anything, blah, 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 um, that the, the climax of the film is presented in a way that there is something really at stake. And actually you get a real sense that these are not... It is not Iron Man versus Captain America, this is Tony Stark versus Steve Rogers, and these are friends who are really kind of like going at each other. And just that really wonderful callback again, it's in in the trailer, yeah, when Tony Stark says, have you had enough? And he says, I could do this all day. And it's like a callback to the original Captain America film. And you get, get a sense that they are fighting for what they think is right, and there is a certain, not tragedy, that's too much of a, a Batman versus Superman word, but there is a real sense of... Um, of something that could be lost here if these if these characters don't yeah, sort this out. But that's the thing. It can only ever be lost temporarily. True. Because they need to become friends in the next film and they will, you know, even if they even if, you know, things have gone completely even if it's an all is lost ending of this film, you you know, the next one needs to pick up and rebuild it. And that's the thing, you know, they can't break anything. They can't because they need to play with the toys later. Yes, it's um I mean they can't even you know but is it not like a way that you, um, you know, we've all had mates that we've had a, you know, a massive uh, falling out with, and when it's happening, it seems to be a huge and like yeah, dramatic thing. But ultimately, you kind of like you know, you reconcile and make it up. But you still had that massive dramatic moment in your life. Well, I guess because I think, well, in, yeah, but, but in that scenario, you are invested because the thing you think the thing that you're arguing about is the most important thing in the world. 
Whereas, but I would say that these characters are doing that, and that you don't know that you're going to make up later. The thing is, in this going in, you know they're going to make that. You know everything's going to be eventually okay. Whereas with with, in an argument with a mate, you know you're not looking into the future and going, oh, that's fine. We're arguing now, but we'll make up next week. I suppose so, but I kind of, but I have to admit, like, yeah, there were some points in Captain America where I was thinking, because I, I mean, again, you know much more about this universe than I do, and I don't know what happens in. Infinity War so for me there was a certain element of like well maybe they will ultimately get back and be friends together but maybe there is a long journey ahead of that so what so and this is could be the first step in something that is going to be a much longer journey so there was a certain tension when I was watching that scene there's a moment when the when the music swells and they are right next to each other and Iron Man's using his his bolts and I think this is on on the poster so it's not ruining anything but it's um and Captain America has a shield, and you just get this real comic book image up on a big screen. And you think, there's the sense of gravitas and iconic character development, that, um, or iconic use of characters, that was utterly absent in Batman vs Superman. And I know we keep keeping back to it, but it's, it is uncanny the way that they mirror each other, but it's a hall of mirrors. <laughs> it's like there's a really warped view of what this really good example of a of a superhero visa, um, v superhero film could be. Yeah, we, we entered the Hall of Mirrors and saw the horrible reflection on Batman v, Batman v Superman and went, oh, God! Yes. And <laughs> went a bit further down and went, oh, it's actually okay. But you, I mean, again, like, you know, just to go back into what we were talking about, the MCU, 2008 is when it first properly kicked off with Iron Man. So 10 years ago, if you'd have said, yeah, 10 years from now, there's going to be an Iron Man versus Captain America film and a Batman versus Superman film, guess which one you're going to like best and guess which one you're thinking is going to be a bit shit um, or a lot shit. Um, it's obvious you would say, well, Batman vs. Superman is going to be a great film, isn't it? Because you've got The Dark Knight Returns, which is a really, really good blueprint for how to do that. And Iron Man and Captain America, were well, they just old properties that have no relevance anymore. And so therefore, pff, that's just a no-brainer. And how odd it is that it's the it's the exact opposite one thing i really like about um one 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 moment one moment i really liked about batman about um sorry captain america (laughs) that reminded me a little bit of batman v superman perversely is there's an instance in it where hawkeye is facing off against somebody who clearly doesn't know and doesn't care who he is yes and essentially just basically says as much and and Hawkeye doesn't blink and just keeps on going. And, you know, Hawkeye is the character in this film, you know, of, of all the core Avengers who the best will in the world. You know, I, I, I thought I thought they did something they did some more right things with him in in Age of Ultron with his family. Mm. But nobody cares about Hawkeye because there's he's got such limited utility. And yet the, and yet these films keep going, No, Hawkeye's a part of this universe. We're gonna keep on wheeling him out, <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> and that's a really interesting thing in terms of the I think there's a really good feature or podcast to be had on how this series of films, and is a series of films, has reflected certain times in recent film history. And Jeremy Renner, at one point, was clearly being lined up to be the next big action star, the next Matt Damon. I mean, he was he was a replacement born at one point. And he was in The Hurt Locker, so that, which is an absolutely fantastic film, and he's absolutely great in it so you can see that when he because he first appears in Thor isn't it he's um, yes, yeah. first seen him in Thor and that's kind of and that was 2011 so just when his star was in the ascent 
With like the and town, was that around that? The town, yeah, I think that was um, that might have been about 2012 or something like that. But it was, but yeah, he was. I mean, yeah, he'd done the hurt like about that point. I'm sure they were saying, yeah, this is he's just going to be the next big thing. We are, this is the this is the property that we are focused on right now, to be the next Matt Damon. And of course, that didn't quite happen. <laughs> but he's at this point. He's and this again. This sounds more dismissive than this meant to. He's Hollywood's subsidiary leading man. He's you know he's he's the he's, he's the second leading man in the Bourne franchise. He's the well, no, arguably the most Mission Impossible. He wasn't even secondary. That was arguably Simon Pegg, but he's a backup leading man in the Mission Impossible franchise. Oh, he's definitely um, in Rogue Nation. He is definitely the third. Yes, yeah, the third man is. Simon Pegg took a big step up there. He obviously got on with um, uh, Tom Cruise very well. And that's the thing. There's nothing. You know, I like him. I think he's a likable presence. I think he's great. He's a great actor in the town and in the Hurt Locker, and and in um, Kill the Messenger. Yes, and, but that's the thing. I don't need to see him as an action star. No, and I think it's one of those things where. He's, I suppose, like Edward Norton in in a way, or Mark Ruffalo. If Mark, I don't think that Mark Ruffalo could lead one of these films. I think he is a great supporting actor, and the same way that you know, Jeremy Renner's never given a bad performance as Hawkeye. It's just that Hawkeye is a he's a lower tier, lower importance character in this whole world, in this whole Marvel world, and he's an actor that I think that clearly he has lots of range. I mean, it's um, and he is a very good actor, but he's he's not as Charismatic as someone like Robert Downey Jr. or so, Chris Evans. I mean, yeah, I'd argue that Mark Ruffalo is probably, and I think I called, I think I called him this a while ago in the review. Arguably, if not the, then one of the leading support, one of the best supporting actors of his generation. Yeah, you know, in two in, in successive years to do Foxcatcher and Spotlight. Yeah, indeed. You know, not to mention he, he had a great turn, and admittedly more of a leading role in Infinitely Polar Bear. I never saw that. Uh, he played uh, he plays a bipolar dad. Right. And yeah, he's one of those actors that you know you don't need to put him front and front and center of a massive action film. You you know you put him in Zodiac. Mm, that's yes. that's where you know he works brilliantly well as part of an ensemble, and he's in his he'll be utterly magnetic. But you know, holding down an action sequence isn't his forte because. But that ensemble in Zodiac also features Rob Danny Jr. Rob Danny, of course, <laughs> and um, yeah, he's he's one of those actors who. I think I think a Hulk I think a Hulk film could work because he'd be sharing, he, he would presumably be sharing space. I mean, he's he's in Thor Ragnarok. That was about yeah, that's right. So that's that's going to be that. I think is going to be the the, the um, default Hulk. Yeah, the yeah, that, by. yeah, that will be it's 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 a Thor movie in name. That's going to be a Thor Hulk movie. And as you were saying, it's a is it like a buddy road movie or something like that? I, is it is it the I midnight hope run? So. Is it the midnight run of Marvel Cinematic Universe movies? with Kate Blanchett? As the villain, if oh, I mean, okay, Kate Blanchett did play the villain in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but and but she was fine. She was fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing was. that's wrong with that film is her fault. No, that's right. Yeah, absolutely not. But it's not your fault. It's, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Um, but the but yeah, that was a a nice moment with Hawkeye in terms of. Why are you still at the table? Well, they, they kind of wrote him out in Age of Ultron where they said, you know, he can just go off and be with his family. And he turns up in this one and everyone's like, what about your family? <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, they're fine. They're fine. I've got a massive life insurance policy. 
I'm be- I'm better to them dead. Um, he doesn't. It's, that, there's no spoiler. Or is there? I don't know. Um, but, I'm, I'm a terrible father. I'm a terrible father. The thing is, I mean, because they... And they clearly are being very good to Jeremy Renner in terms of the Hawkeye character, because he does get that big sequence at the end of Age of Ultron where he basically teaches Scarlet Witch how to be a hero. And he's the one that steps up and says arguably because he doesn't have powers so therefore he can have that time to spend giving someone a pep talk but um, there's an yeah. SNL sketch have you seen the SNL, the SNL sketch no what's that one with uh, Jeremy Renner's in it involving you know the rest of the, rest of the Avengers and they go you know we're, we're going to keep fighting going to keep fighting and Jeremy Renner just has to go no I'm out of arrows I'm done yeah. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going <laughs> home it's like didn't you bring like why didn't you bring more I, I brought like two dozen arrows with me and I killed two dozen guys you're welcome I I think I've done my bit and also I have no superpowers I'm just a a good shot I'm very mortal I'm I'm very mortal so we've said that no one gets short change in this film and I don't think they do but um, I could always do with a bit more Black Widow in these films I think that she needs her own film there I've said it (laughs) I just I don't understand why that's such a controversial note I know they made salt which I liked, I thought it was right. A character who was intended to be, you know, a spy film with a character that was intended to be male that they then just cast Angelina Jolie in, you know, a very competent but ultimately forgettable. And yet, yeah, yep. and yet, you know, they don't, they fail to realise that it doesn't need to be a $200 million film. You don't need $200 million to make a, you know, you need half that and you make it a spy film. You make it, you know, and it's a side mission. She goes off and does her own thing. Yeah. For, and, Sorry to interrupt, it's just that you're making so many good points that I, I need to jump in before I forget what I'm going to say. It's, um, the You've already got some of her backstory in Age of Ultron, um, in terms of the like, yeah, flashback she has when they're all you know, hallucinating the worst moment of their lives or whatever's going on there. And so therefore you have that, that you could then, as you said, that could be the side story, that could be the personal mission that she has to go on to. And, and I think you've basically just given them what you do with that. And you... You set a ceiling on it. I mean, I think you then lead yourself open to um, saying, oh, because it's like a female, be a superhero film, we can't have as much whiz-bang for our buck, or we can't have as many bucks. But But I think, think, no, just give yourself like $50 million or $60 million. And 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 that's the thing, I think the response to that is, well, think about it, if we make her film, she is the the least powered Avenger to to whom we're giving a film. Yeah. Therefore, there's less to show... Like you know, there's, there's there's less money that we have to throw at the screen. I mean, we can throw two hundred million dollars at the screen, but we don't have to because what is she going to do with that? Yeah, money? Exactly. It's, yeah, it's... she's she's a spy. She's a kick-ass spy. And you can say that uh, she was, well, no, she wasn't joint lead in Captain America: The Winter Soldier, but she was a really good support to, to Captain America in that film. And Scarlett Johansson was a really good support to Chris Evans in in that film. And it's I mean, it's weird with with Scarlett Johansson because there was a point around the time of match point and when she was being held up as the kind of it girl and I just thought she's so boring to watch as she is such a boring actress and I just she just has dead eyes and breathes through her mouth and it's just <laughs> and then it was actually Iron Man 2 which was which I think is an underrated movie it's lots of issues in there but I I do think there's a lot to recommend in that film Principally, her though, and I think that she, and again, if we're talking about the recent you know, history of film and stuff, there is a an actress who realizes this is her her last shot, really, to to make it as an A lister. That she'd been given these films like you know, Black Dahlia, remember that? 
no one remembers Black Dahlia because it was not very good. But Brian De Palma, wasn't it? Brian De Palma, yeah, based on an excellent book by, by James Elroy. Elroy. Yes, yes. But a really just just a misfire and yeah, Match Point. I didn't really think was a very good film either. And there was you know, lots of films that she was making where she just wasn't having any any hits. Then there's Iron Man. She was two. Woody Allen film. What was it called? What was it called? Um, well, she was in loads of them. She was, she was in Match Point. She was in. Um, Oh God! What was that? Oh, one? what was it called? The one with Hugh Jackman. Yes, um, Scoop. 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 Yes. Yeah, which wasn't. Again, I thought that was interesting in a way. She was also in that. Um, oh, that absolutely laughable one, which was called. Oh my God! It was another Woody Allen film. What was it? Maybe it wasn't. It was the the one with Colin Farrell and Ewan McGregor. Was she in that one? Cassandra's Dream. Maybe she wasn't in that. Oh, that was uh, that was um, um, Ewan, Ewan McGregor and um, Agent Carter. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, Ewan, Ewan McGregor and oh, uh, uh, yes, yeah, Colin Farrell. Farrell. Yes, yes, yes. And put me out of my misery, Agent Carter. Oh, Haley Atwell. Haley Atwell, yes, and um, Sally Phillips. Oh yeah, but talking about Agent Carter, that, thank you. That's yeah, that's yeah, very back. <laughs> um, they're exploring. Well, the previous season, uh, they explored the uh, Black Widow program a little bit. In season two? Yes. as stacked up on my skybox. I haven't watched it yet. I, I won't spoil it anymore as sort of an offshoot of the Cold War. And and there's enough in... I mean, definitely it's something that can be explored. Um, I mean, I, I think that's your story. It's kind of... There's a lot of mystery. In all the Black Widow films, that, um, in all the Marvel films that have her in, there's a certain yeah, suggestion that she has a lot of mystery and quite you know, dark mystery to her past. Particularly in Avengers... The first Avengers with Loki when what she called a mewling quim or something. Yes. It's <laughs> like in a in a twelve. <laughs> if, and that's the thing: if you don't, and if they don't think, if they don't trust, you know, Scarlet, which you know, stick Mark Ruffalo with her. Stick some, you know, stick if you if you have to, you know, Black Widow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick, stick, yeah. stick Mark Ruffalo with her, yeah. and every time he's about to turn into the Hulk, have him get knocked unconscious. One of the things that I liked about Age of Ultron, which again, you know, proficient, I think, is the is a word that I'm using in slightly more negative connotations for that film. But their burgeoning relationship, I thought, was quite nice. Well, there's, um, there's the scene where they sort of go through all the old film cliches. Yeah, it's great. It was like kind of uh, really nicely done. But anyway, yeah, so I think Iron Man 2 was... She was the best thing in it because this was an actress who was saying, OK, I am just going to show what I can do in this and that I can not just be this cut-glass, unapproachable figure, but I can yeah, get a bit rough and ready. And also play with a lightness of touch and do a film noir do a film noir with black widow and uh, uh, and uh, bruce banner in a supporting role and every time he's about to explode the budget knock him unconscious yeah how old would agent carter be to have a young black widow film because Scarlett johansson you could you could you could young well, well, they've, set, they've set up emily van camp as yes in the in the new films agent 13 Agent something or other. Yes, that's right. Oh, heck, um, give them both a film. Yeah. Give them a film together. Have them. They get paired up and they get sent on a mission somewhere. Um, Extreme. You know, them sort of quipping as they're passing each other ammunition. And you know, just generally. So, in terms of Captain America: Civil War, is there anything else we need to talk about before we do a quick look at what's coming up next in the MCU? One thing I'll say is, if you've been, if you've watched Agent Carter, I think you'll get more out of it. Yeah, well, yeah, I'd agree with that in a, to a certain extent, but I think... But you don't have to watch Agent Carter. Yeah, you Carter, don't have to. But you should watch Agent Carter, because it's very good. Yeah, so, you get, <laughs> so you, get, you, get, you get double payoff, because not only is it very good in its own right, 
but I think it makes it'll make Captain America Civil War marginally, even marginally, even better. Well, it will kind of add to the um, emotional punch it, of it. Yeah, inform your experience. Yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah. Which is good stuff in a way because I mean, one of the best moments of Ant Man is, I think, it, it might even be a pre-credit scene when. Um, Agent Carter's there with a young Michael Douglas and, and Howard Stark as well, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah, and it's like, great. It's so nice that you can... Like, the way that comics would just have these flashbacks where you would have major characters, you're now doing it the, in these films, and you're thinking, well, I'm sure that there's contractual stipulation and some handsome paydays, but you also get the, the impression that these guys may be quite light doing these you know, little things to create this legacy of, like, a, an entire cinematic universe, and... That just works for me. And hasn't that euthanizing effect come on leaps and bounds since X-Men uh, Last Stand? Yeah, it really has. It's um, Or even Tron, with Tron, the weird... Yes. Tron Legacy, with the weird Jeff Bridges and his, and his eyes that are dead, like a shark's eyes, like a doll's eyes. Um, <laughs> and it's... Uh, just that now, if you think you can, you can just make these people young again, and you can't see the joins. You know they're making a USS Indianapolis film, right? Yeah, indeed, with uh, Nicholas Cage, is it? Nicholas Cage and um, uh, Tom Sizemore. Yeah, it's going to be shit. Does he play the shark? One of the sharks? Oh, is, he, be, yeah. is he the shark leader? <laughs> um, How much good would that film be? It's going to be ridiculous and probably a bit offensive. Yeah, I think it's going to be. It's going to be like a Pearl Harbor film. It's going to be just misjudged. Um, but I'll watch it for the scene where like Quint is stenciled on a locker and yeah. they never... I mean, if, if they don't do that, it'll be... Yeah, they're going to miss a trick. And But the thing is, it'll be one of those films where you can already write the review of that film saying, we all already had a great USS Indianapolis film. It comes at an hour and 25 minutes into a certain film called Jaws and lasts for five minutes and is absolutely brilliant cinema. <laughs> um, and the danger and, and the terror of the of the 17 hours or oh, captured 20 better. odd hours. Yeah, in captured a, better in a, in, a, in a three minute monologue. Than in the two hours of this film, or however long it is, and I'm sure it's going to be too long. Yeah. Okay, so we have... So ultimately, Captain America Civil War... What is that? What else is coming out in terms of blockbusters this year? Could this be the best one? We've got X Men Apocalypse. We need to see what that's like. It's interesting because unlike the Marvel films, there's no build up to any of these. They're just kind of each individual one is doing its own thing. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they do follow on. X Men X Two follows on from X Men. X Men Three again is a sequel. What's the oh well. What's what's the first one? The one that's got Michael Fassbender in it and James McAvoy. Oh, First Class. First Class, yes, of course it is. Days of Future Past is a follow-up to that. It's also... Yeah, I mean, there's, there's continuity. Uh, there's continuity, yeah. So, But you're right, they do... They're almost standalone episodes. So, yeah, they're they're just stories. Yeah. Yeah, they are like kind of yeah, four-issue stories or something like that of a, of a comic. And, yeah, so it, it will be interesting to see what X-Men's like. And then we have Suicide Squad. Which we have spoken about in depth. And... In depth, and shout out to our mate, Jai Courtney. Um, he hasn't been mentioned enough in recent recent podcasts. Um, Jai or Jay, we're still not entirely sure. But... And we alternate, but we love him. Because he's yet to prove we... that he's not rubbish. <laughs> but we have hope. But we have hope. And as you said, it's like, you know, the, the thrill of that is that you know, DC don't do middle ground. They do best thing ever, absolute shit. <laughs> And so, therefore, what's it going to be? We don't know. Right now, 
I'm not thinking it's going to be the best thing ever. I'm thinking it might be something else. But it's, it's Schrodinger's cat. It's Schrodinger's cat, yep. Yep, indeed, yep. Could be the best thing ever. Could be a dead cat. But, in terms of... And there's yeah, the Bourne film, that's going to be cat. Um, the trailer was so anonymous, wasn't it? It was like, really, this is just the same as what we had before. Well, in which case, is but if they'd shown you actual, you know... Is that a film where it's going to look really anonymous because they don't want to spoil anything? Is that Hopefully. a film like maybe there are some really big twists and some really interesting, but they haven't put it in the trailer because they go, some, you know what, some people hate it when we put this stuff in the trailers. <laughs> yes, indeed. There are some people here who, well, all I would say is if they could just give me a hint of the Bourne legacy just being a dream and all that stuff about super soldiers is just was just cack that was, just didn't exist, then... I would be much more excited by this Bourne film. But it's like, if you are following up the Bourne legacy as well as the Bourne supremacy, then you are on hiding to nothing because it it was shit. It was rubbish. It was it just made no sense in terms of the world that you created. Um, so, yeah. And also, again, it feels like, well, Matt Damon doesn't need a hit, but Paul Greengrass does because Green Zone wasn't very good. And it's... Thinking well, Captain Phillips was. Oh, Captain Phillips. Yes, yes. Sorry, yes, I do. Yeah, he does. Yeah. So why are they going back to this? Then it's like, why are you going back to Bourne? Maybe, when you've... maybe they've got a story, and and Matt Damon has said that he does see it as a legacy thing. Yeah, maybe. Um, hopefully, I'm wrong because I think that the Bourne trilogy, it is like the Indiana Jones films. <laughs> it's uh, in that there are only three Bourne films. Um, but, the, the, but on the plus side, the shinner of puns that it provides. Oh, indeed, it's like. Um, yeah, it, it really is, isn't it? It's uh, and also when you have um, oh, what was it? My my finest moments was when Quantum of Solace came out, and it's just like that, just right itself, doesn't it? James Bond is born again. <laughs> it's uh, but um, uh, James Bond. I know oh, that's that's gone. That's probably bad taste. <laughs> no, go on. Um, yeah, stillborn. Stillborn. Oh, that's great. That's even better. <laughs> I've been dining out on Born Again for years, and Stillborn is better. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Final podcast. <laughs> I'm taking my toys home. Um, conflict! Conflict at last. <laughs> Tension. Stillborn. Brilliant. We now have to review the Bourne film to say if it's stillborn or not. But of course we have Doctor Strange. And I want you to give us a brief rundown of what you thought of the Doctor Strange trailer while I just go, Inception? Yeah. Inception? Inception? I mean, yeah, Doctor Strange was always very hippy-dippy, you know, the Eye of Agamotto, and really did come out of that age of sort of uh, 70s mysticism and being really intrigued with the Far East and perhaps not always in the best taste. Because, huh. you know, it's, it's you're fairly generic, you know. Well, what uh, Doctor Strange is a surgeon, uh, Stephen Strange, who is very arrogant and callow, but, you know, save, is, is brilliant at his job and is involved in a car accident and his hands are utterly, you know, destroyed beyond use. Travels up to the Far East and learns sort of, you know, the we- the ways of, you know, the the mystics. And the film, I think, is intriguing. Yeah, there's a definite Inception feel to it. And it, it yeah, it does embrace that. It does feel like it's going... It, like it's going to embrace the sort of third path, alternate dimensions, otherworldliness, in a way that feels very alien to them to the Marvel universe, uh, because you know obviously they haven't dealt with magic before, and it's going to be very interesting to see how those things eventually come together. That's the interesting thing for me is that, as you were saying, you think that there might be a 
paucity of Avengers in this film because you need to establish the world and the rules of this film before you can introduce the character into an Avengers movie, much more than, say, Ant-Man. Um, I mean, which, it, yeah. I mean, having it, having him turn up and meet one of the Avengers at the end, and maybe yeah. demonstrate some magic, and have one of the Avengers go, "You are," <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> it might be the best yeah. way to do that. <laughs> if that's the post-credit scene, and it's Tony start looking into Cameron, going, "Oh," <laughs> then I think that would be. Well, I was going to go and see it anyway, but I would stay for that. That would be amusing. Um, oh, come on, you'll stay for a wink at camera. You'll Come on, no, none of us are getting out of those seats until after until the lights have come up and they're trying to shoo us out with brooms. But I was actually, I didn't see the uh, the final, in Captain America Civil War, there's a mid-credit, uh, a mid-end credit scene, isn't there? Then there's actually a post-credit scene as well. You I didn't see the stay pre- for the post-credit scene. Oh, okay, right, because I was, uh, the person who was very, very gracious enough to take me to the preview screening, while he enjoyed the film, he's in no way a comic book fan, and uh, it was one of those where it's like, I don't think I can insist that we sit here and sit through ten minutes of names to watch. It is ten minutes of names. It's possibly even more, because the sheer number of just visual effects people yeah, involved in indeed. I mean, it really is like, we're just watching a phone book now, yeah? That's the thing, you weren't, you don't, they don't feel like effects-heavy films. No, no, no. It's um, again. It would be interesting to watch a behind the scenes of Captain America: Civil War to see, for example, that scene where Bucky goes bad and they're all, you know, trying to put him down. Just how much of that was um, what's the word? Face replacement of stuntmen, or how much of that was wire work and things like that. And um, and yeah, just to see how many invisible effects are in are in that scene because it looked scrappy, rough and ready, and like you know, like a proper a proper scrap. But you, know, but obviously it was really well choreographed, and you and you know there's an, some invisible effects yeah. there, some magic going on. Yeah, that's right. But lots of strange. Yep. So that will be interesting, and we'll of course watch that um, and see if it's Inception meets The Matrix, which is, to be honest, exactly what the trailer looks like. But directed by Scott Derrickson. Scott Derrickson did Sinister which is one of the best horror films of the past five years, in my humble opinion. Um, and so he gets two hours of my time. Then we have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which is May 5th of 2017. Will James Gunn again um, is writing that? I presume he'd be directing that as well? Yes, I believe he's directing that. I don't. I, I think he's, it's up in the air on Volume 3 that may or may not be officially confirmed yet. But... That hasn't been officially confirmed yet. This is... Uh, they've... That will be the next phase after Infinity War. Um, And then Spider-Man Homecoming. Really interesting. Being directed by John Watts, best known for Cop Car. Cop Car, I thought, was a a good little movie. Really, it's about a couple of kids who steal a cop car. The only problem is the cop car belongs to a very corrupt Kevin Bacon, who plays a um, local sheriff, and he wants his car back because... There are certain things associated with that car that he doesn't want anyone to know. And the thing that I really liked about Cop Car was that they were 12-year-old kids or something like that, and it was much better than them being teenagers. And it's like, this is great that these kids are just going off on an adventure and have nicked a police car, but they've just nicked really the very wrong... The worst police car. The worst police car you could nick is a corrupt sheriff, Kevin Bacon, please car. And of course, an interesting direct, uh, choice of director because it does seem to follow on slightly. Well, it, yeah, I mean, is that a Marvel 
choice or is that a Sony choice? Because obviously we had a talk earlier, not not on this podcast, uh, but uh, the Amazing Spider-Man and the choice of director for that being um, uh, Mark Webb. Mark the, Webb, yeah. The incredibly aptly named Mark Webb. The only reason he got the gig was because it's called Mark Webb. Um, <laughs> I'm convinced of that. I think that Sony have, and they I'm sure would say otherwise, but they have just given Spider-Man over to Marvel and because they don't know what to do. They don't know how to make that character a success. Even though those films made hundreds of millions of dollars, The, you know, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 made $800 million. It's an $800 million Still failure. Still perceived as a fear. Uh, as I said in my review at the time, it's, it just breaks all the rules of good storytelling in, in how you tell a hero story. And it has a terrible, terrible bit of really cynical tragedy tacked on that completely undermines all the emotional investment that you put into this movie. Oh, just really hated the end of that film. And they just didn't know what to do with Spider-Man. But in Captain America Civil War, in about 20 minutes of screen time, they just nail what the character of Spider-Man is. I think is. because they, they go... And Tom with, Holland is great as Spider-Man. They go in with zero baggage. Absolutely. But they also understand the kind of actor that's now needed to play that. And he's... You know, very young and he actually you know, won't spoil it here but he makes a cultural reference that shows how young you know, he is and actually how well you know, how old I am um, and also how old some of the other actors in, in the film are and it was very funny but that seemed to they again just seemed to get the, the right actor the right feel and the fact that it's called Spider-Man Homecoming, Homecoming it's it's a Marvel film, isn't it? It's, it's going to be, yeah, Marvel are going to be calling the creative shots on that film. Yeah, that, that's an intrinsically high school title as well, because obviously yeah. that's when you is. And it's going to be a high school film. And, and obviously it's Spider-Man coming to, back to Marvel, so it's yep. Spider-Man's homecoming. Absolutely. And, I, and I, I'd say that's why it's called that. I mean, it's, it has to be the reason why it's called that, because he's coming home to the place that can actually do him justice. Um, which is ironic, because... You can say that Marvel, with Iron Man, and actually all the MCU films, just really borrowed what Sony did with the original Spider-Man in having Sam Raimi, a director who in no way had proven that he could direct a blockbuster, but was a really interesting choice of director, and was utterly off, off, suited. After they couldn't get James Cameron. Yeah, something. yeah, who was of course supposed to do the early early 90s Spider-Man, um, but said that the effects just weren't up to what he wanted to do. But Sam Raimi was absolutely perfect for the material but Sony now just can't do that and I'm sure that Sony said no we have equal control and it's like yeah well I don't see Fox giving X-Men away then we have Thor Ragnarok please be the midnight run of, of Marvel movies that would be so brilliant that's November 3rd 2017 the fact that we think it even could be is pretty amazing yeah and it's really exciting isn't it so that's November 3rd 2017 for um, Thor July 7th 2017 for Spider-Man, sorry. Then February 16th, uh, 2018, Black Panther, which would be interesting because it's directed by Ryan Coogler, who did Creed, Creed and Fruitvale Station. So seems like a director, and I'm going to call it now, this is going to get nominated for Best Picture and Best Director um, to make up for the... Because he did something amazing with Creed and was utterly overlooked, and I'm going to say that they are going to see this as a way to right that wrong and I have high hopes for a Black Panther film I think it might be under his in his hands with what he did with Rocky I think he could do something so really what you're saying is we need to get Todd Haynes to do a Marvel film and that way it, to make up for the Carol snub yes indeed yeah so he needs to is there a a repressed gay anorexic Marvel superhero that he could really 
tackle and uh, and if there isn't, why not? Why not? Yeah. So Marvel could uh, actually. That's a really good point that uh, we'll go on to in in just a second. Then we're into Avengers: Infinity War Part One, which is May fourth. Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. Yeah, and Thanos is this. He's that big. Strong jawed, desperate Dan dude yeah. sits in a chair at the end of. Um, it was in Avengers, isn't he? It's in and is also in Guardians, Guardians of the, the Galaxy. Galaxy yeah. yeah, and it's um, and it'll be really interesting then because presumably that's going to be a huge operatic kind of very epic movie, and they're following that with Ant Man and the Wasp, which is going to be well, quite a small film, you think? And that's the thing to start in, in Infinity War Part One. Obviously, he has to assemble. He has to start trying to assemble the Infinity Gems, one of which is lodged in Vision's head. So who needs to start? Um... Uh, Thanos. Right, okay. Yeah. Which means that I think, and obviously Thanos has become a bit of a joke because of you know the amount of time we've seen him not do anything. Mm-hmm. Essentially, the first time we see him, he basically has to murder Vision. He basically has okay. to straight up pull that gem out of his head. Interesting. So Vision could be one of the very few Marvel superheroes who actually... Uh, Croaks in That's the film. thing, they can bring him back. Once you've got the Infinity Gauntlet, you know, once the good guys get the Infinity Gauntlet, whatever they want to do, it's essentially, you know, all powerful as far as, you know, as far as that goes. Um, so they, isn't it, anybody who dies can be brought back. So, you know, at least Infinity War Part 1 is a chance for them to actually really thin the herd. Yep, indeed. And um, then because they've got, what, a year before Part 2? Yes, it's um, a year to the day almost. It's, yeah, May 3rd, 2019. Then spend that year figuring out who they, or who they actually need to bring back. Yeah. Okay, so just quickly on to Captain Marvel. It's coming out March 8th, 2019. Possibly as a replacement to Captain America, because Chris Evans says that he's not going to do many more. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Chris Evans... I, th- I think recently he's been sort of slightly more pliable on, on the notion <laughs> of that. Because, yeah, again, it's sort of a cinematic legacy. I think the real question is what happens after Infinity War when you've taken those characters as far as they can go. Okay, so in 25 words or less, what is the story of Infinity War? Okay. Um, or 50 in, words. Thanos, uh, he being known as Thanos, uh, attempts to uh, assemble, uh, well, gather the Infinity Gems and gain ultimate power. Right. And Infinity suggests there's some kind of time travel in there or some no it's just it's more sort of you could, you could call it infinity eternity uh, and, right. and and the gems have already appeared in the film and very you know the, co- yeah. the, co- the cosmic cube is contains one of them uh from the first avengers film i have to admit that's mcguffin that i haven't i've paid hardly any attention to yeah they're, they're, <laughs> they, they are mcguffin uh and they are of the highest order and they will all come together to yeah the the uh the the mcguffin war the, the MacGuffin uh, War, The MacGuffin yeah. Gauntlet. Yes, indeed. The Great MacGuffin War. Yeah, because at the end of Age of Ultron, when they're saying, yeah, and the Infinity Stones, and we keep yeah, seeing these stones, and blah, 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 and they kind of... And it's like, oh, right, is that going to be a thing then? So, because I'm much more interested in the Hydra's actually in S.H.I.E.L.D. or that kind of the thing there, like, you know, Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. Spoilers. <laughs> it's going to be, you know, you know, pick, you know, holding up the gauntlet, and it's going to have the, the Maltese Falcon and the briefcase and Pulp Fiction on there. And... Yeah, indeed, and uh, Rosebird. And... <laughs> um, yes, that's kind of what it is. Okay, so we're in for the duration now, aren't we? Because it's um, we are going to be watching these films until at least May 3rd, 2019. And, I don't know, Infinity War to me seems to be an ending of some kind. So it will be interesting to see what Phase 4 is. And they, there's no way they're not going to do a Phase 4, I would imagine. How lovely would it be if they just wrapped up and went home? Yeah, indeed. It's like thinking, How, what command and what 
dignity. No more dignity. Say. Yes, what go, dignity. We are done. We told the story we want to tell, and you know there is such a thing as too much of a good thing, and we're going to go and make other films. We just want to say thank you for at that point your decade and a bit of you know loyalty. Uh, we have defined the childhood of you know of a whole generation of film goers. We wish you the best of luck. Indeed, what dignity! And they've made about twenty-two. Well, they will have made about twenty-two movies by that point, which was the same amount of movies I think the Bond made in fifty years. So it's like, guys, in eleven years you would have made twenty-two-ish movies. Therefore, you—that is your legacy. You, that is your—you have done this now. You have contributed a really significant period of film history for better or worse I would say ultimately for better even though it is a case of be careful what you wish for sometimes with superhero films but yeah just to say no Infinity War that's a statement we wanted to make in terms of an ending to this yeah, I think I think we said everything we wanted to say with the first 22 the first 22 films (laughs) yes it's like so shall we just tell people they should go and see Captain America Civil War and see which team they're on yeah, I mean, I'd recommend you know, see Batman v Superman first because I think it'll have the it'll ultimately have the bigger cultural impact. <laughs> <laughs> it will be interesting to see at the end of the year when we do an end of year review how much air, or how much minutage Captain America: Civil War, by far the better of the two films, gets, and how much minutage or how much we're still banging on about Batman versus Superman. And just to clarify, do not watch Batman v Superman. When it comes out on DVD in the extended version, we will do a podcast, or I'm, I, yeah, I'm hoping we will do a podcast where we are, we will talk you through it blow by, by excruciating blow. We are going to do a podcast definitely on the three-hour R-rated director's cut of Batman versus Superman, and we will we will spoil things so that you don't have to see it. But we will do it in an amusing way, I'm sure. But let's not end on Batman versus Superman. Let's end on the fact that Phase Three of Marvel, I think, yeah, for my money, has um, launched in a really impressive way with a film that, for me, just was a bit of a yeah, it was a it was a joy to watch. I really, really got on with it, and I'm just interested to see you know what happens next in this phase and uh if i then lapse back into the all oh, no it's just hit a boring formula again mm. or if they yeah keep going and we'll try and uh, look out for the obviously unexpected parallels between doctor strange and suicide squad yes indeed although i think we already said that's going to be suicide squad and road one yeah <laughs> but uh yes we will so it could be doctor strange and wonder woman doctor strange <laughs> and fantastic beasts and where to find them Yes, indeed. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it's going to be. It probably is going to be more like that, isn't it? Um, anyway, thank you for listening, as always, and uh, we will see you soon. We'll see you very soon. All right, I've run out of patience. On the roof. Hey, everyone. 